Welcome to the Brentwood Church Audio Podcast. As always, you can jump on over to BrentwoodChurch.org or your favorite social outlet where you can find Brentwood Church and see what God is doing in this community. Now let's take a listen to this week's teaching. Last week, we opened up Pandora's Box Part 1 with a bold teaching by Pastor John. He challenged us to be a church that doesn't shy away from the uncomfortable and sometimes embarrassing topic of pornography and sexual chaos just because it's tough to talk about. As he said, the issue is killing marriages and holding back spiritual progress among Christians throughout our culture. And as you know, ladies, this is not just a man's issue. Currently, there are just as many women that admit to struggling with sexual addiction and pornography as there are men. So today, we're going to address the topic from a female's perspective. But guys, don't check out on this one, because there's a lot for you to learn on how to lead and protect us women. In just a moment, we are going to watch an abridged version of Shannon Etheridge's teaching and testimonial on how women seek love, attention, and affection in all the wrong places. Shannon is the author of the best-selling book, Every Woman's Battle. In her book and in today's teaching, she warns women about our vulnerability of not only sexual but also emotional promiscuity. She goes right to the heart, literally, and teaches us how we must protect our hearts and our emotions from twisted fantasies, inappropriate relationships, and sexual chaos. Let's watch and learn and get ready for action. God's business is to add and multiply. Satan's business is to subtract and divide. And one of the ways that God uses to add and multiply blessings into our lives is through the gift of our sexuality. And one of the ways that Satan uses to subtract and divide from our lives is through our sexuality. And I want to show you a picture of what I almost allowed Satan to subtract and divide from my life. This is a picture of my husband and I on our wedding day, April 21st, 1990. And this is my most recent family picture uh, just a few months ago. Again, my daughter is 16. My son is 13. We've been married 18 years now. But in all honesty, we almost didn't make it to that season of our marriage. Because it was seven years into our marriage that I approached my husband crying... You just don't meet my emotional needs anymore. Oh, some of you have sang that song, obviously. But fortunately, my husband saw past my weaknesses to my needs, and he spoke the truth in love. And he said, Shannon, if you, had a, I mean, you have a grand canyon of emotional needs, and even if you had every man in Dallas lining up outside your doorstep to spend time with you, it would never be enough. And he said, until you look to God to satisfy your emotional needs, there is nothing that I or any other man on the planet can do to satisfy you. And while many women would be very offended by such words, they rang true in my spirit because I had been a very promiscuous teenage girl. And the idea that God could meet my emotional needs gave me great hope. Because meeting my emotional needs was not something that any guy on the planet had ever been able to do for any length of time. But I had always seen God as this distant disciplinarian who was ready to strike me down if I committed one sin too many. Because that's how I viewed my earthly father. I had no idea that God really wanted to be the lover of my soul. And so this whole concept of 
God can meet my emotional needs, sent me running into counseling. And one of the first questions my counselor asked me, she said, Shannon, how early in your life do you remember craving male attention and affection? And I was shocked that I could remember feeling that way as early as four years old. And then my parents decided when I turned 15 that I should be allowed to start dating. In hindsight, I wonder where was their head? I was not old enough to handle that responsibility, but they didn't know about my uncles. They didn't know about this date rape experience. They had no idea. And so I started dating, assuming that, well, sex must be the price that a girl has to pay to get the attention and affection she wants, because that seemed to be what every guy wanted. And I'm not proud of this fact, but from the ages of 15 until almost 20 years old, my life was basically one sexual relationship after another. Sometimes, yeah, they would last a whole like two years. Other times it was more like two months or sometimes maybe two weeks. And I lost count of how many sexual partners I had during that season of my life. And I would go and I would get tested for HIV and it would come back negative. And I would just think, oh Lord, how is it that you have saved me from myself and my own stupidity? And I sensed for the first time God talking very clearly to me. And he said, Shannon, if you'll trust me with your future, I'll redeem your past. And I had no idea what that meant or what that was going to look like. But I sensed that, you know what, maybe I need to go back to church. I knew that I needed to get my life back right with God. And so I started going to the little church down the street. And that is where I met this six foot seven tall spiritual giant as well by the name of Greg Etheridge. And we started hanging out in the singles group together. And, and then we started hanging out with just a smaller group of friends. And then we started hanging out just one-on-one. And then we started dating. And I just kept pitching myself going, you know, this is just the coolest, cutest guy. And I can't believe he likes me. And then one night we went out on a date. And that is when Greg proceeded to inform me that at 26 years old, he was still a virgin. My conscience got the best of me. And late one night while working at the funeral home, I called him up and I said, look, I don't have the courage to tell you this face to face because I can't stand the sight of you walking out the door after I tell you what I've got to tell you. But if you need to just hang up the phone, I totally understand. I said, Greg, if we were to marry, I know that you would be a virgin, but you deserve to know that I would not be. And he said, well, I had kind of already figured that out based on some things that you'd said. And I said, but Greg, you don't understand. It's not like there's been one or two. I said, there's been a lot. And I'm not proud of that fact, but that is the truth of what you'd be getting if you took me as your wife. And he responded, Shannon, I don't love you because of your past. I love you because of who you are today and who God made you to be. And I want to help you become who God made you to be. My knight in shining armor has ridden in on the white steed and, and I'm going to get married to Greg Etheridge and, and I'm going to put this wedding band on my finger and it's going to change everything about me. And what I learned is that this wedding band doesn't change anything except my last name. <laughs> Within a very short time, I went right back to experiencing those cravings to look for love in all the wrong places. As soon as the butterflies stopped flapping in my stomach about a year into the marriage, as soon as the fireworks weren't going off anymore, as soon as my palms didn't get sweaty when he held my hand anymore, that is when the fool wanted to return to her folly, just like the dog returns to its vomit. 
And I started noticing the guys you know, trying to catch my eye going down the road or the guy in the, in the pew two rows back checking me out. And I was just like this heat-seeking radar of just, who's checking me out? I was so hungry for that attention and affection. And it scared me to death. But thankfully, God sent a messenger in my life. First of all, he impressed a, a passage of scripture into my mind and into my heart. From Proverbs 4.23. You know what it says? Above all else. Guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart. And what I learned through counseling is that I had tried to be pretty diligent about guarding my body. You know, like as long as I wasn't, you know, like crawling in bed with some other guy, that I thought I was being faithful to my husband. What I didn't understand is that there is a line that is more like way up here that I need to be careful and not let a guy cross. And that is the line into my heart that I need to be more careful guarding my heart. And what I learned is that God didn't just make me with a body. He made me with a mind, body, heart, and soul. And I needed to do a better job protecting all four of those parts. It's kind of like If someone was pursuing you with the intent of doing you harm and you're going to take refuge in a four-door car, what's the first thing you're going to do when you get into that car? Lock the doors. How many are you going to lock? All of them. Would it do you any good to lock one or two? Or how about three? Three out of four isn't bad, right? No. You have to lock all four doors or else you are vulnerable to attack. And the same thing is true with our sexuality. If you leave your mind or your heart or your spirit or your body open, Satan has a point of entry through which to come and attack. And what I didn't understand is that, Shannon, it's not about who you crawl in bed with or don't crawl in bed with. It's about who you allow access into your heart because wherever a woman's heart goes, her body longs to follow. And I had to guard my heart. The next day, I already had a lunch appointment scheduled with my aerobics instructor, who was a male with really big biceps. And I'm going to be the one to share Jesus with him. So when he proceeded to ask if I had any plans for lunch on Valentine's Day, I'm thinking, ooh, I'm going to share Jesus with James. So we arrange to have lunch at this new house chocolate shop in downtown Dallas. And I'm not having any clue that, uh, Shannon, you're using ministry as an excuse to have lunch with a really attractive guy with really bulging biceps on Valentine's day. You're not guarding your heart the whole way to the restaurant. I'm just praying. Oh Lord, please help me share you with James. But then I had to be honest. I said, Lord, help me focus on the mission at hand because his biceps could be a potential distraction here. (laughs) I get to the restaurant and James says to me, would you like to know why I invited you to lunch today? And I said, well, sure. And he said, it's because you have a neon sign on your forehead. And I said, oh, really? Well, what does that neon sign say? And he said, it says that you're hungry. For attention and affection. And I thought he was coming on to me. And I kind of leaned back in my chair and I said, well, 
How do I get that neon sign off my forehead? Because I'm a happily married woman in ministry and I don't want to project that kind of image. And he said, do you really want to know how to get it off? And I said, yeah. And he said, Shannon Etheridge, you have got to die to yourself. I thought, has this guy been a fly on the wall of my brain for the past two months? Or has God sent an angel in a tank top to tell me something I needed to know? And so he says, Shannon, do you trust me to take a walk? And at first I said, no, that would be inappropriate. As if what I was doing was totally appropriate. All of a sudden I just had this overwhelming peace. And I realized that in this restaurant, we were having to yell over the table at each other, all these you know, lovers there celebrating Valentine's Day together. And, and I just said, well, as long as we can take separate cars and meet in a public place. And so we took our separate cars. We met at a public track near a college. We start walking, and the first words out of his mouth is he says, so, Shannon, tell me about your relationship with your dad. I thought, what? Where did that come from? And I said, well, I don't have a great relationship with my dad. Thank you very much. Next topic. And he said, well, okay. Have you ever been incested? And I said, no. My dad did some pretty mean things to me, but he never was sexually inappropriate with me. And he said, well, I wasn't necessarily talking about your dad. Anybody else in your family treat you inappropriately? And then I remembered my uncle's. And I told him, I said, yeah, I had a few uncles in my family that were very inappropriate with me. And he said, how old were you when you had your first sexual experience? Fourteen. How many men have you had since then? Well, you're nosy. (laughs) I'm just, you know, this big lump in my throat. And I'm just thinking, what do I say? What do I do? And finally, I just said, James, how is it that you know to ask me all these questions? Because you're like hitting the nail on the head here. And it's making me really uncomfortable. And he said, Shannon, I see a neon sign on your forehead because it's the same sign that I had on my forehead. And he said, I'm a recovering sex and love addict. And my immediate thought was, ooh, you're one of those people. Ah!" (laughs) But then he went on and he said, I see all the same symptoms in your life that I once had in mine. And I just want to tell you that you need to die to yourself Because you come to my aerobics class dressed not to sweat, but to make other men sweat. And he was like, you do not carry yourself like a happily married woman in ministry. And I couldn't deny it. And he said, here, here's a card to a female counselor who runs a Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous support group. I think you need to connect with her. And I think you also need to find another aerobics class because I can't see you anymore. He said, the fact that you and I know this about each other makes us very dangerous friends. And it ends today, and I just want to wish you the best of luck. I go home, and I'm just bawling, and I tell Greg everything, every word of the conversation. Greg starts bawling. He says, Shannon, I have been praying for five years that God would send somebody in your life to help you see these things about yourself that I have not had the words to tell you. And I said, well, Greg, I think he sent an angel in a tank top. So I went through six months of intense individual and group counseling to get to the bottom, to get to the root issues of why do I look for love in all the wrong places. And it it was, 
I mean, it was crucifying my flesh on a daily basis. But I was able to restore my relationship with my dad, therefore restore a more intimate level of relationship with my heavenly father as well. I was able to forgive my uncles, to forgive the guy who date raped me. I decided that forgiveness wasn't a feeling. It was a fact. And I was declaring that fact. And so after all these months of counseling, my counselor finally said, okay, get out. I'm starting to ask you more questions than you are of me. You're healed. Go share your testimony with other women. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't really want people to know all this stuff about me. She said, Shannon, it would be a total shame for you to have gone through all this healing and all this counseling just to hide your light under a bushel and not tell women about the truth that sets you free. But what I want to tell you, ladies, is that when we learn to die to ourselves and let the Holy Spirit indwell us and commit our lives to being the bride of Christ, not just in name, but in practice, when we're willing to labor diligently to bring God's dreams to life, he gives us life abundant. He adds and he multiplies blessings in our lives. And when we stay on that path, there is nothing that Satan can do to subtract or divide from our ministry, from our lives. There is fruitfulness. There is fruit that needs to be born. And God is looking for women who will commit themselves to being the bride of Christ and bring these dreams to life. But I'm completely overwhelmed at how women are saying, I've heard Bible stories all my life. I have never recognized how God is wooing me and pursuing me into an intimate relationship. But now through reading God's word with these devotionals, I'm hearing God like sweep me off my feet that I'm falling hopelessly and helplessly in love with Jesus Christ as my heavenly bridegroom. And I love that. I absolutely love that because my two favorite passages of scripture, uh, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, the, the one in the Old Testament is Isaiah 62, 5. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so does your God rejoice over you. And I want to tell you that if you are here tonight thinking, oh, well, God probably has his back turned toward me and disdain because I've been neglecting my quiet times and I've got a list of sexual partners a mile long and I have all these abortions in my past and I'm financially destitute because I've just been such a poor steward and blah, 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 blah. I just want to tell you that you've got the wrong God. After that, you may be feeling a lot of different emotions, sadness, anger, conviction, or maybe comfort. It's also possible that Shannon's story brought up your own sexual past. Perhaps you were abused by someone and you've carried that hurt and confusion for years. Or maybe you didn't guard your mind and heart and sought love, attention, and affection through sexual or emotional promiscuity. Maybe there's adultery, abortions, or pornography that you're still trying to sort out and confess. Let's together figure out which doors you still need to lock. The enemy wants so badly to enter, but the Holy Spirit wants to protect. Here's how you can take action right now. Forgiveness, asking or giving it. Healing, seeking transformation from God and his church. And empowerment, telling your story to help someone transform their own. So today, you can take the first steps to accept God's redemption and love through Jesus Christ. That's forgiveness. Today, you can take the next step and seek a counselor to work through past hurts or regrets. Email counseling at brentwoodchurch.org to meet with one of our lay counselors for prayer, guidance, and healing. 
You can also embrace the courage to tell your story and help someone else find healing through mentorship. That's empowerment. Forgiveness, healing, and empowerment. That's why we gather today. So right now, as the band plays, let these lyrics be a guide to follow today's truth towards one or all of those actions. God wants to use our brokenness and stories to show others the power of the gospel to change the world. Now listen, pray, and obey.